Yeah, here we go. You'll have this take. Oh, you'll, you'll there's no take. It's just I know what's coming down the line. <laughs> so you might as well just say it now. What am I, I going to say? Does this rhyme with Jenny Gel? <laughs> I want you to be happier. I want you to be happier. I'm a big believer in the AF. Lifelong, lifelong Arizona Hotshots fan. <laughs> this this one hurts. This one hurts because it's not even like your team left and moved to a different city. Like it's just dead. It does not exist. Now if we jump together, at least we can swim far away from the wreck we made. Then only for a minute. I'm not going down to anyone's basement. Piss me off, Harry. Holding the shaft very tight. Hello, it is Friday, Friday morning, May 10th, and the BJ season's officially canceled. Zach, how are you doing today? I'm still licking my wounds. Hockey's not a sport anymore. I am too. We'll get more in depth into that topic here as we get going, but I just wanted to bring up something I was thinking today. You know, a little bit of off topic is what we always start with. As I got into work today, I was you know, thinking about my life and my childhood and whatnot and things I kind of regret not doing. Like when you were young, you regret not doing the inappropriate or I don't know, the uh, not adult like things to do when you're a kid that aren't very uh, appreciated by your adults, like maybe a coach, a parent or whatnot. And I was thinking of things like that. And one of the things that especially part, it was part of what I was thinking with baseball is I never ever stood up an umpire when I was playing in like little league and it kind of bites at me like <laughs> there's been times where I've been called out on like an outside pitch like a strike and I always wanted to draw like a base or like a home plate right next to the plate and says <laughs> since you're moving the plate I might as well draw one for you yeah. probably get tossed and it would have felt good in the moment but I regret not doing something so wild like that because that's a story you could tell for the rest of your life there yeah I see the the most the worst thing I probably did was I think immature is the best way to okay put yeah it. definitely yeah, yeah, immature. Yeah. Um, well, some t- as a catcher, like I'd get, I felt my pitcher would be getting squeezed. So then, like this one, one game in particular, I remember, like it was terrible, like it was a pinpoint strike zone, and like I just kept letting out large sigh, which definitely did not help the case at all. Of course, and it probably just tightened it even more. But I just got it was just it's so frustrating, and anyone out there knows that. Honestly, I'd say that that's probably what's wrong with baseball the most is having too small of a strike zone. That and it kind of varies with guys too. Yes, yeah, so de- there's definitely a, a variance in there. So I, I think if we just had a, well, first of all, if we had a consistent strike zone, and then I'm also leaning towards a faster strike zone. You throw strikes, batters will swing the ball or swing the bat, make contact. I mean, obviously they don't care about striking out because they're already doing that now. So I think that'll speed the game along. Are you part of this generation that wants more technology in the sport, more in terms of maybe balls and strikes? <sighs> Because I can't get there. I can't get there. See, and it's really surprising, too, because my dad, being a traditionalist in almost everything, he is all for an electronic strike zone. Really? Yes. Wow. His biggest argument for that, though, is the consistency, which I don't think we have to go all the way to technology to get there. I think we just need needs to be some kind of mandate and somehow enforce, like, okay, you go, you have your set strike zone, you call it at that, and go from there. Do you think maybe you could meet in the middle and do something what 
kind of what the NFL is doing with pass interference and make like judgment calls like that maybe reviewable no, like no. once or twice a game. But Absolutely you lose. Not. Your, it's part of your challenges that you have in a game. Like you're challenging a guy out at first. You can challenge one during a game, but if you get it wrong, you don't get that second challenge. But there's a pitch every. There's there's so many pitches in a game. Trust me, my strategy I would never challenge one because it wouldn't be worth it. Unless if maybe it's late in the game or in the ninth inning or something like that, that's different. But that's kind of the same case you're talking about here with uh, the NFL and pass interference. Like you can waste it on a, a PI called in the first quarter, but if you get that wrong, you're going to last how three quarters without a challenge. Right. Right. I mean, that aspect of the argument that, okay, yeah, you only get a set amount of challenges I'm okay with. I just feel like, for the most part, a ball or a strike is not worth taking five minutes to decide. That's fair. So your your argument is basically you don't want to include it in the list of things you can challenge. Correct. Because you feel like it's not monumental enough. Correct. I mean, obviously, there's certain aspects, like obviously uh, a full count basis loaded bomb of the ninth and you're down two runs. Like, obviously, that's important. But I, I, no, I just can't get behind sitting there five minutes to determine whether or not it was a ball or a strike. Well, this was a very, very off topic, but very <laughs> good way to start the show. But everybody, we are here to talk about your main sports in Ohio most notably, we just talked about we're going to dive into the CBJ, everything with the NHL playoffs. Second segment, we'll dive into tribe stuff. This team is a roller coaster at this point. And the Browns, it's all of the talk about maybe talking too much, or at least that's what mainstream media wants you to think. I personally do not. I'm okay with the confidence installed into my players, but whatever, besides the point. First off, I want to dive into, before we dive into anything CBJ related, I just want to go into the storyline that was Started about a few months ago by a guy named Don Cherry. He does all kinds of hockey stuff up in Canada for a bunch of their outlets. And back a couple months ago, he complained about the way the the Carolina Hurricanes would celebrate after games. They would do like choreographed ce- celebrations when the game was finished. And he had an issue with it, called him a bunch of jerks and not, you know, upholding the standards that are in the sport to uphold sportsmanship or whatever. And quite honestly, he might have been the only human in the world that had an issue with it. So much so that the Hurricanes have taken his quote about calling them jerks, have run with it throughout the entire playoffs. It's on every shirt that is on the seats of the arena whenever they have a home game in the playoffs. Every sign you see, every player's referencing it, every member of the organization's mentioning it. Like, this has been taken off to the point where you can start to see it rattling Don Cherry a little bit. But he was brought back on some Canada, uh, it was called like the coach's corner. Go figure. This is the guy they want to turn to for like all their hard-hitting analysis. And he was kind of brought in to talk about what he thought about, you know, how this organization's running off with what he said. And he kind of, you know, stuck to his guns. And I'll let you listen to it real quick. Up on the coach's corner that night, uh, what has made Raleigh, Carolina, the Hurricanes, you, everybody rich and famous. This is unbelievable. The, uh, the jerks phenomena. Uh, I don't understand this. I said this on Canada, and it goes down in there. And, you know, it's a funny thing. They know that it's the wrong thing to do, or they do it in the playoffs. No, you do a guy, you do it in October, you don't see him till March. They know in the playoffs, you should, look at that there, that's pretty good. You should not, you know, I don't understand, guys, the, I, 
Well, I'm told the owner said, entertain the crowd. And they still drive at 13 to 14,000 people. And these people that are here now, now they're winning front running fans, as far as I'm concerned. That's what they are front running fans, as far as I'm concerned. Hard not to embrace it, though, isn't it? And the pig I don't embrace and the pig and nothing. I said okay. they look like a bunch of jerks being a fish. And I just want to kind of highlight first off, this guy is. Wearing a stormtrooper suit, he wears exotic suits all the time whenever he's on TV. Uh, the first part he talked about is kind of a humble brag how he said it in Canada and it got all the way down <laughs> to the U.S. You know, look at me, Mr. Big Time, my words Ooh, get out. Canada. But it's like, it's one thing to take this old school mentality on everything and just, you know, be a stick in the mud. But he's sticking to his guns. I guess you got to appreciate that. But, I mean, have some fun, man. I I I don't know. Well, I mean, if you're going to be a jackass about that, then how are you going to be wearing a Stormtrooper suit jacket? Right. Like, you're embracing the element of fun, but you don't want others to. Right. Like, how? Like uh, it's one thing if you wear, like, a button-down, like, just a black and white, like, sports coat. If you wear that every day, like, okay, then I see, obviously, where where you're... Oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Your qualities, whatever. We'll just roll with it. Uh, sure. It's one thing, it, like if you're like a traditionalist, but if you do stuff like that, then how the hell are you supposed to tell someone else how to do their job or have fun? Well, you know, at at the same time, you got to realize he's also a paid analyst, so you know, spurring up types of controversy like this is part of what the these outlets want. It's the equivalent of like a Stephen A. Smith, a uh, Max Kellerman, which we've all heard the news this week of what he's been talking about, calling Kawhi Leonard better and more clutch than Kobe Bryant. I mean, that's a little bit of a stretch, but you know what? It gets people listening. If that's his go-to and that's what he's doing, you know what? I can't fault them because that's kind of what you're taught to do in this industry. I mean, we've spent but, how much time on this podcast talking right, about Don Cherry absolutely. Now? We're talking about it, which is what they want. But if he actually deep down in his heart believes this like to his core and his core principles, he's lost me at that point. Yeah. Yeah, if this is anything other than just an act for uh, for views, then got to go, dude. So now to the sad part of the segment. So we talked about the CBJ fall in the second round. They fall in the second round, too. Obviously, you know at this point the Boston Bruins in six games. Um, Just to kind of open this up real quick, and we'll get into the big debate part of this in a little bit. But it was one of the more exciting sports crazes I think the city's ever had. And one of the things yep. I've ever, I mean, one of the biggest things I've ever bought into. I went to games three and four of that series and have never heard an environment as loud as I was in for those two games. And I'm talking multiple Ohio State games, uh, you, you name it. Anything in the city that you could compare to it, it honestly doesn't even compare. That's how big these events were to the city. As for what we saw on the ice, it felt like a tale of two series almost. Like, the early part of that series, this team felt like they were on top of the world. They had the number of this Boston Bruins team. And it's like the puck luck just went away or something. And the offense couldn't get going. And the better team eventually came out and flexed their muscles, which is what we saw in the Bruins. Going into the series, I said the Bruins were the best team left in this playoffs. And if you could get by them and face the winner of the Islanders or Hurricanes, you would have had a very, very good possibility of making it to the Cup. Right. And I I fully agree with that. And honestly, too, I feel like Boston just kind of figured out they just need to go with 
quantity over quality of shots on Bob. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you just pepper them enough, get them moving side to side, and eventually it's got to find the back of the net. And they figured that out. Like in game four, they had four goals. Um, and I, well, I, yeah, they had game six was their least amount of goals scored out of the last three with three, and they had four goals in the other one. So I think they just kind of figured that out, and then our offense just kind of went stagnant. Um, well, I think I saw a list game four of Blue Jacket players that hadn't scored a goal. It was in it Cam, Felino, Anderson, yep. and was it Dubois? He didn't score, so yeah, he'd probably be part of that group. Okay, because I remember they highlighted like three, four names that had not scored, which obviously, if you don't have some of your top guys not producing, mm-hmm. you can't expect to win. No, you're right. And I think it was a mixture of that. It was a mixture of the guys for the Bruins that were starting to step up. You know, you saw a guy we'll talk about here in a little bit, Charlie McAvoy, who was arguably their best defenseman in that entire series and quite honestly on their team as a whole while he's been there. Uh, You're also talking about another guy like David Pasternak, who really stepped up in the end of that series after, I would say after game three, he really started to make a step towards being the leader of that team offensively. Uh, Brad Marchand, the Rats, he eventually started stepping up after Game 4, really provided a spark in Game 5 and 6. And then you even had contributions from guys like Zdeno Chara, uh, David Krejci, guys like that that weren't really producing early on in the series, really started to pick it up late. And that's why I honestly will contribute a lot of this series flipping for those reasons. See, I'll say Chara didn't really impress me a whole lot because he has... Physically, though. Like... Okay, yeah, well, I mean, it's... Not hard to be a physical presence when you're a six six caveman, but it's a huge advantage though. No, it is. But I'm just saying he had so, he definitely had some defensive lapses that created second and third chances for the Blue Jackets. So I mean that aspect, but no, just he's just a giant caveman that doesn't wear. A, he's got to be like the last player that doesn't have to wear a face shield. <laughs> he has to be. I think his stick's like over eight feet long. That's insane. Yeah, that's absolutely insane. And then, obviously, the second part of what you got to think about this is while you know the season's over. This means it's the beginning of free agency. The part that all of us fans, since the beginning of the season back in October, November, early on in the season, were, you know, kind of just pushing off in our brains. We didn't want to think about it. You know, it's still down the line. We still have this year to worry about. Well, that year's gone. You now have to start worrying about your key pieces are now on the market, whether they're restricted or unrestricted. You got a lot of big names out there. Most notably, restricted free agents, you have the likes of Jonas Corposalo. While he was a backup, he was a very serviceable guy going forward. He probably could start for you next year if you bring him back. But they seem to like this Elvis Merzlikens guy a lot that they signed to an uh, early entry or one of those contracts where they get you over from from whatever host country you're playing in. Uh, You also have Zach Wierenski, who's been a key part of your number one line on defense. Sticking him next to Seth Jones. Obviously, I, I feel very confident they're going to bring him back. I don't have any issues with that. They'll match whatever qualifying offer that needs to be done for him. I'm not worried about him. It's obviously the big-name guys we've been talking about for months. Bob, Panarin, and now Duchesne. And even you can throw Dezingle in there. While he struggled after coming over from Ottawa, I mean, that's still another name you got to throw into that mix. See, I... Ever, like, coming into the season, I... Just reserved, like I didn't really give myself too much hope that we would bring back either of the Russians. And then after we swept Tampa, I started thinking, you know what? If we can make a playoff run here, 
then we have something that we can present them like that they may not have considered before that, okay, we can actually have a chance to take home the cup. Do you want to go anywhere else or do you want to stay here because you know what you have? And then after losing in the second round, I think that that's out the window. So now I'm back in the camp of saying both of the both of our Soviet friends are gone. I have been very much on the thought that Bob's gone no matter what. And I think his, you know, his reactions, his body language, his inter- exit interviews, everything kind of pointed to he was taking in the moment because he knew it was done. And I think it's been quite quite a while now. It's been agreed upon on both sides that they were just going to go in different directions because they had different numbers in their heads for what would be valued for him going into his 30, 31 or 32-year-old season. Mm-hmm. Um, as for Panarin now, I mean... It's going to be all what he wants because the Blue Jackets will offer him whatever money he wants. The max contract. They will give that to him starting today right. if he wanted to. We would it's have done that be, all season long. Right. It's just going to be whether or not he wants to be here. I really don't think he does. I I, uh, I, I don't know what to say. I mean, sometimes he looks like he's engaged and he loves it. And, you know, I see the videos of the Cappy and whatnot after the games and he looks like he's really involved and he likes the guys. Right. But then there's times he feels like it looks like he's just disengaged. He wasn't fully there. There'd be times like when Boston would take away his space in that series, he kind of just kind of was through the motions, it looks like. Like mm-hmm. if he doesn't have his open space at times, it looks like he just goes through the motions. Um, I don't know where to th- – I, I honestly have a big question mark over him because it would not surprise me either way he goes. I'm not calling it 50-50 because that would give the idea that I know which way he's leaning. I can't. I can't tell you that he's split between the two. It's just a big question mark. Uh, but with saying that, he is one of the, if not the top free agent on the market going into this offseason. Definitely. He's going to get all the considerations he possibly wants. Let him go and figure it out. Have that offer sitting there on the table and saying, if you want to play here, this offer sitting right here for you. If not, it was nice knowing you. Get in or leave. Or yeah. Something along the lines was uh, Jarmo's quote. Did you just say Jarmo? Yarmo, Jarmo. Oh. No, no, we have to win two playoff series to get <laughs> to get the correct pronunciation. Either that or an explanation on uh, on Keith Kincaid. Right. Uh, uh, another player we need to discuss real quick is the local kid. Well, he played at Ohio State. He's actually from Illinois originally. Mm-hmm. Ryan Dezingle. He had 22 goals before coming over in the trades that I guess they were separate trades for Duchesne and then also Dezingle. He kind of struggled while he was here. Um, he eventually was scratched, a healthy scratch in, I believe... Game five? Yeah, it was one of the middle. Game no. It was one of the middle games. It was a game where they had Wenberg on the power play or for the penalty kill. Yeah. So they swapped those two guys out. It kind of felt like, you know, he wasn't really jiving at times with Tortorella and his process of how he runs things, especially in the playoffs. We saw so many different changes with the lineup. Yeah. Which is crazy. And it's not very common. Um but with Dezingle in general, I'm very curious to see what his market's going to look like. I'm thinking somewhere in around, like his average annual value is going to be around, he was making around 1.5, 1.6 right now. I think he could get that up to around 2.6. Yeah. He, he did enough, but it's like, it's going to depend on who really has a big eye for him. I believe the Blue Jackets are motivated to bring him back. Right. If I had to guess, it's going to be him plus one other guy. And that one other guy we're going to talk about next, I believe, is they will get Matt Duchesne back. Duchesne, because like, like I said, I, I've already written off the two Soviets, so I definitely want Duchesne back. Um, I think he produ- he did very well in the production for the Blue Jackets ever since he came here from Ottawa. So I definitely want him back. 
Here's, here's the best part about that, though, because when you made the trade, you acquire his rights in terms of what you can offer in terms of the max, so they can offer him the most in terms of year and money. That's it's the same in most sports like NBA and whatnot. When you're traded mid year, you're you're trading over those rights for the max contracts. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's a perfect scenario if, if we expect uh, Artemi Panarin not to come back. I would be okay with him being that max guy. Oh yeah, for sure. Like yep. I, I I don't think I would even second guess that. Definitely not. But he said a lot of good things to say. I mean, in his exit interviews, he had a lot of good things to say. He was talking about the fans in the city of Columbus. He said, as far as the city and the fans, it was just wild. I did not expect that. Amazing city, great, great fan base, simple as that. That experience we just had for me, that's definitely right up there with some of the best memories and best experience I've had in hockey. So they made their impression, man. Like He's, he's liked what he's seen, and I don't think he's going to just BS that in his exit interview. Right. I mean, I, I would hope not, but also at the same time, like, there's no sense to burn any bridges from her, from his standpoint. So even if it doesn't necessarily mean it, there's no point in saying that he didn't like it. So, I mean, you want to keep all, all options open. So I, I believe Ian Cole also said uh, similar things uh, after his season was done, and then obviously he went to go sign with Colorado. So I think it's just... What's going to be what they're going to offer? I don't think the if issue is going to be what the... Blue Jackets are willing to offer Matt Duchesne. Right. I think that was a different scenario because I don't think they wanted to match the money that Colorado was just handing out left and right. We saw with the likes of also Ian Cole and Matt Calvert. Yeah, and uh, did they get Grubauer through free they agency? They did. I think they got him for about 3.2 uh, average annual value. Uh, I miss him. He should have started all. Uh, <laughs> he should have played more with the Caps against the Blue Jackets. That was a year ago, and it still hurts. But here's the quote from Duchesne that I think's gotten a lot of people excited about the possibility of him coming back. Is He said, I've been, I've been so happy to be a Blue Jacket and grateful to be here, and obviously it would be great to, it would be a great thing if it continues. I, I don't think you're saying that if you don't have any intentions of yeah. seriously looking. And I expect him to look around the market, but he is going to have us on top of his list, whether that's one, two, or three. We're going to be up there. Yeah. Like, it's clear as that. Um, when we come back, we're going to go into the baseball direction. The Tribe have had an up-and-down week once again with some magic from Hosey. He's starting to wake up a little bit from the plate. We'll dive into that next. The pitch. Swung in and blasted. Deep right center. Away back. Audio coming from WTAM up in Cleveland. Tom Hamilton on the call. That is Jose Ramirez's two-run home run in the Tribe's 5-3 win over the White Sox on Wednesday night, May 8th. Can we say that's going to get him going? Like, can we officially say that this is going to happen? I hope so. Do you know that was his first walk-off home run? Yes, he said four walk-offs, like hits, I believe, but that's his first home run. So 
That kind of surprises me. I and feel his like first walk-off since 2016, though. Ooh. Yeah, summer Ooh. of 2016, I believe. Okay, well, then I th- are we going to Game 7 of the World Series then? <laughs> I mean, if you're following that trend, we might as well. We loop back to that? Those were those were happier times in Tribe Town? You say that, but I might rewatch all of the wins to- or tonight or maybe tomorrow night now that you mentioned that. <laughs> um, but no, we got to talk about this team because they're up and down once again, and they're chasing the best team in baseball, which is never fun to do in your own division. But this team, as of this recording, has Finished up their four-game set with the White Sox splitting 2-2. Finishing up a five-inning game. The Tribe take it 5-0. A shutout victory, I guess is what it's called for uh, Carrasco. Complete game. Yeah, complete game shutout. And you were telling me earlier, we were talking about this, that uh, Carrasco was telling his teammates to not throw the ball around the infield because he was expecting inclement weather coming. And he knew that if he could get through the fifth inning, it would be an, it would be an official game. So it would count. They wouldn't have to actually play any more of the game. Regardless, they waited two and a half hours to see if the delay would end, and they just said, you know what? Game's official. Let's just end it. I'm fine with that. Uh, smart thinking on Cookie's part. It helps. And it's it's just so weird to think about with how bad this team has been offensively that they're still one of the best 35-game starts in the history of the Indians underneath Terry Francona and his seven, eight years with the team. See, okay, I would say that that's surprising, but now I'm thinking back to his first few years. How many times did we fall in such a deep hole in the first half only to have to have great second halves of the season just to try and make the try and make the postseason? Because we had to win like 10 of 12. Uh, when the we, wild card year? Yeah, yeah the year yeah. we lost uh, the last, last time Danny Salazar pitched an inning. <laughs> <laughs> It's a little dramatic, but no. Is it that? I, I, I get what you're saying. He actually just had a setback. He had to shut down his throwing routine recently. Yeah, yeah I saw the scheduled tweet. But <laughs> on the plus side, I'll sidetrack real quick. Uh, Clevenger's ahead of program. So he actually could throw his first bullpen on Monday the 13th. He's not even eligible to come off the DL, the 60-day, until June 7th. And he's already going to throw his first bullpen on Monday the 13th of May. That's this is where we talk about misdiagnosing things with the Indians and their doctors. It might actually be for a benefit, but he might he might get up to his 95 100 pitch bullpens a couple weeks before he's even eligible to come back. That that is fine. That is fine. It's fine. I guess it's better than the alternative. You're right. right. And then also to uh with the other injury, Lindor, I am happy to see that he seemingly is fine. But when he runs, it just he kind of looks awkward right now. Yes, yes, he does. Like it almost makes you feel like something's still there, but we're not hearing about it. Right, but I mean, his production's not. His production has not been affected by because he's hitting at a 262 clip right now, which I would like him to be hitting better. But, but also at the same time, he's got limited at bats. That's still pretty good for as much yes. as he's played. I, I agree. I agree. But I, I say that though, but about his running and he stole a base that led to that home run. I mean, it really put the pressure on Kelvin Herrera to really gear down because one base hit by Ramirez turns into a, a run instead of you know maybe getting a third in that scenario. So he looks good on the steal. So what do I know? Well, maybe he's just pushing it at the at the right times. Yeah, he could be. Um, 
But with this team, what, we're 36 games in, you're 20 and 16, you're four games above 500. And quite honestly, like we said, this is a second-half program ever since Terry Francona's taken over the team. We know that. And we kind of feel like, you know, it's one of the historically worst batting averages for a team at this point in the season for the Indians' sake and their their franchise in over, I believe it was like 80 years or something like that. 80, 90 years. That is ridiculous. Which is insane to think about, too. <laughs> and they're only three and a half games back of the best team in baseball. And the Twins. Who said the AL Central was a weak division? Get out of here with that. Honestly, though, I mean, the Tigers are 18 and 20. They're right there at 500. And I believe the White Sox are now 16 and 21. So it's not like, I mean, obviously the Royals are the basement. But it's not that bad. I mean, all these teams have been competitive against the rest of the league. Right. Actually, real quick quick side note, because I saw this statistic come up earlier. Uh... The last two series for the Reds, I believe they haven't. They've actually you've either tied in terms of run differential, or have had a better run differential in both of those series, but have still lost them. That is surprising. Well, <laughs> That's I, amazing. Well, I think I saw something too that they and had, they got no hits the other they, night. Yeah, they got no hit coming off of a game where I think they scored like ten runs or something. Yes, I do. I think you're right. So, I mean, they, they just they didn't spread out their at-bats. They didn't <laughs> spread out the hits. They only need to win by one, not ten. What are you doing, Reds? I kind of feel like that with this Indianist teams at times. I'm like, they, they scored five runs today. I'm like, well, slow, slow it down. We need some of those for the next game. So, yeah, no, excuse me. They were coming off a game where they scored 12 runs. Because oh, they, no they got no hit on Tuesday, right? By Mike Fires. That's the second second career no-hitter. So that that's an even more elite list for no hitters. But yeah, no. Right. On Monday they they played the Giants, scored twelve runs, and then Tuesday, then they got no hit. Of course, Grant, they did have to go all the way from Cincinnati to Oakland, but right. still. Which we have to start that road trip here soon, so get ready for that. Uh right. actually tomorrow night we have our ten or is it nine thirty or ten thirty first pitch? Uh, my my Dumb behind is going to be up watching it. But. 9.37, so <laughs> hopefully I'll be done by by 1. And I'm going to watch every second of it. I know I will because that's just who I am. Yeah, uh, I got a three-day weekend, so bring it on. Yeah, that's that's not bad. Uh, here's actually, I wanted to get to this real quick. This is Terry Francona talking about the walk-off for Jose last night. Because Frankie stole second, it changes a lot. He's all he has to do is find a hole, but he really put a charge in that because, I mean, Kip hit his ball early in the game probably as good as he can hit it. And it just, you know, it's like you just fighting the traffic the whole way. Hosey really jumped on that ball. And he brought up what I just said, is that steal the second by Lindor really changed the way that Kelvin Herrera had to attack Jose at that point. He had to be more careful on it, obviously. Uh, but it's kind of a talking point we can carry off of because this isn't really that. I mean, we've been spoiled. We've had Rajay Davis here who's been able to steal bases with ease. And that's why our steal differential... Uh, net steals has been always one of the highest in the league the past couple of years. We haven't really had that fortune yet this season, and on top of it, we've had some base running errors. I remember a couple games ago, uh, Jose was stealing third with two outs and took the bat out of uh, Carlos's hands, mm-hmm. only for him to hit a single the next at bat to start the next inning. Like it was, it's the little things with the t- this team that just frustrates the hell out of you. I mean, is it just me though? Is that across baseball now that you see so many more like base run, like all the small things? So I f- I feel like I've noticed that 
recently over the last like few years they're just like base running mistakes or just just outs and you're not viewed as anything other than just being an out right it's just supposed to be this change in baseball about how outs are done and whatnot and they're definitely more aggressive on the base pass I mean look the, we're, ha- we're having some of the most steals in the league in the history of the game which is kind of weird to think about uh, Tim Anderson for all people is leading the league in steals right now like and also, you can carry it over to base running. We've had tons of issues with our own team with it this year. There's been plenty of other instances and games that I've watched. Uh, but as a whole, with the league this year, it's kind of looking weird. Like, it's a bunch of slow starting heavy weights that are starting to wake up, come up. I saw Boston finally got back to 500 since they were 1-1 one one to start the season. Mm, congratulations, Bundy. <laughs> like... I don't know. It's been a weird start. Like I expected the Twins to have something decent. They signed quality players on short deals, and tried to see if they could make a stab at things this year. You know, they got Nelson Cruz, Marwin Gonzalez, who I really wanted, really, really bad. But we can focus more on the AL Central right now. I think the biggest X factor, and I was telling my Twins fan friend today, is that their starting pitching is really what's carrying them right now. And obviously, you expect Jose Barrios to be that ace, the carry right. guy. He's going to do that. But they're getting more from. They're three, four, and five guys. You got Kyle Gibson. You have Jake Odorizzi, guys that are both keeping their ERAs either under three or just north of three, which is solid for a two and three in a rotation, especially in a division like what we have. Uh, You have Michael Pineda, once very, very decent Yankee pitcher who had some injury issues, also some pine tar issues (laughs) that he ran into. He's been pretty decent coming back for them. And... They're solid right now. Like, they're not playing the toughest competition. I think their next series coming up is, like, Detroit. So I I, I always like to think in terms of how is the lead in terms of the division going to fluctuate based on the series you're playing up and looking down the line. The Indians have a very favorable schedule going forward. The A's aren't what they were last year. They're starting pitching for a main reason and part of that. Uh, Their bullpen's been pretty weak. You also have the Orioles coming up. You, you have the Rays, but you have them at home. I wonder how their starting pitching is going to do for them and how their bullpenning works. Then you'll have a couple games stint again with the White Sox, two games on the road. Uh, you also have the Red Sox. So the, really the Red Sox are the only team left in this month of May that I'm really concerned about as a fan for the Indians in terms of the games they're playing that are tough. It's favorable for them. I'd like to see them finish the month either tied for the lead or maybe a one-game bump. But that's all going to depend on our X factor also, and that's hitting. Right. And also, too, like this is, we're just in May right now. We still got three more, four more months after this. Sure. And then also, too, like who would have, because you were saying earlier about the, how unpredictable the season's been so far. So we're nearly a quarter way of the season. Who would have had both Tampa and the Twins at leading the division? You know, a lot of people actually I saw had the Twins. Maybe that was just the, Red and blue colored glasses I wear, but I was not buying it. I had them third in the division, and I'm looking like an idiot right now. But Well, yeah, you are. But. <laughs> that's, that's fair. I'll take it. <laughs> I mean, I thought they'd have key good pieces, but I didn't know if Nelson Cruz could still be ageless Nelson Cruz. I didn't know what exactly Marlon Gonzalez is going to provide. Jonathan Scope had a few good years in uh, Baltimore, but I didn't really know, again, what he was going to bring into his later years here in Minnesota. And I didn't know if Jose Barrios was ready to take the next step. We've been waiting for a couple years in terms of baseball nerds like myself. He was 
on the verge of it last year. He's had a lot of command issues, which is why his ERA has been up in the fours at times in the past couple of years. But he's always been known to be a guy that's going to get strikeouts. He's been a guy that's going to keep his whip in the 1.1.10 range, which is still decent. But he's exceeding all those expectations at this point. Uh, like you said with the Rays, I mean, I don't know. Did you see Tyler Glass now and Austin Meadows and Brandon Lau and Kevin Kiermeyer and Yandy Diaz, of oh, all Yandy. people, playing very, very well? I miss you, Yandy. Like, there's a bunch of these teams where they're getting role guys that really have, I mean, at this point, they're having career starts to a year. I mean, as we said, long season, so I, if I had to put a bet on it the, that it won't, they can't possibly sustain this level of play. I'm rooting for them because there's not another team in the AL East that I'd root for besides them. Speaking of former Indians playing elsewhere, uh, I, I saw Cody Allen just came back off the DL or the IL, whatever, and is back with the Angels. <laughs> I believe his ERA is hovering around 6 or 7 right now, whips mm. like one six one seven. Mm. He just had a two-inning game or two-inning outing when he just got back. He's actually been demoted from the closer role. He's now doing middle-inning stuff. Gave up two runs the other night. Like, he's looking about as bad as... Honestly, he's looking worse than he was with us, and that's actually saying something. And how much is he making? I think he's making eight. eight, Yeah, 8.5. Oof. Couldn't be me. I actually haven't even looked at Andrew Miller's stats lately, but I know he was up in the high sevens, eights in ERA, and his whip was like 1.6. Well, I'm glad at least we were smart enough to kind of see the writing on the wall. I mean, especially after last year, the way things went, they both of them both of them were not the same guys that we saw 2016, mm-hmm. 2017. Like last year was just completely, they're just different guys. So I I am glad that we kind of avoided avoided paying them, loved them as players but obviously their production is not not where it needs to be i would have loved to pay the 17.9 for michael brantley right about now though oh yeah no that that is definitely one that i wish we'd have back him and yandy well i personally believe yandy's got some dirty pictures of tito which is why he never got the play because there's there has to be something it's almost like this oscar marcado thing that we've been pumping our fists for for the past month Honestly, a couple months. Like, there's got to be something that Tito in the front office just don't like or are afraid of, and they just do not want good things to happen involving that guy. I don't know, because I can't make any other assumptions. Right. Like, Mercado is hitting with Columbus. He's hitting 288, which is honestly, it's down a little bit from what it was, because he was hitting over 300 for uh, for a little bit there. And correct me if I'm wrong, I think he's a right-handed hitter. Uh, I believe so, yes. Yeah, so that's one of your biggest needs now. I know you have Jordan Luplo up, and he hit two home runs in the season, the series finale against the White Sox, and I look like a dummy, and I understand that. I accept that he looks good today hitting against that left-hander. Maybe he's a left-handed specialist whenever you're facing a lefty on the mound. That's great. I just would love to see Mercado up here any way possible, and I, I, I don't know. Who would they send down at this point? But the problem is is that they won't because they like what they have. The outfield really isn't the issue, which is weird to say. Like, uh, yeah. I don't know. Like, Naquin's hitting 260, 250. He's hitting average. Uh, Naquin is hitting 286. Oh, my goodness. 
Well, it's against righties. He can't hit or, against a lefty. Actually, no, excuse me. I was looking at the, the last seven days. 271, which is still, still, still pretty good. decent. Uh, Leonis Martins had an up and down start, but, I mean, he's a key guy in the center field that you need. I understand that. And plus, plus two, Leonis brings that kind of veteran leadership, too. Sure. And then you got Cargo. You have Jordan. I don't see you carrying five outfielders, unless if I'm missing one. Uh, you say Cargo? I did say Cargo, yes. Uh, let's look at our last uh, got Bowers, Luplo. Oh, Bowers, yes, that's right. Because I, I think of him more as a first baseman because of all the, the outfielders we do have. And he can go between the two. Um, you also have to consider one of those guys that are going to DH two on most days. Right. But yes, he can play outfield. And he's actually been playing pretty well. I think he's hitting around 240, 245. Uh, 257. Oh, he bumped it up. He, I think he had a double today, which was pretty nice. Yeah, that'll help. Um, also, sp- speaking of betting DH, how about uh, how about Kippy hitting DH? You know what? I actually had a, like a slimmer of hope when he first came back because he actually was hitting well. He came back in that Seattle series out in Seattle. Played pretty well. I think he had a hit in all three games. Right. Yeah, and then he he goes 0 for 16 against the Astros. That's not gonna help. I mean, hitting an abysmal 189. I, I don't I don't know with him. I'm like when he hits, and I think his last 20 at bats, he's had five hits. So he's hitting what? I don't know. I'm stupid at math. That's 250 average. Yeah, we'll go with that. Sure. Yeah, we'll go somewhere in the range of that. I can't do math. <laughs> um, but it's like four of those five hits. I heard Matt Underwood say today on the broadcast. Four of those last five hits have been doubles, extra base hits. Like when he's hitting the ball, he's actually he's squaring up on it. He's getting good hits. Uh, you heard in that cut from Tito, he's been putting the ball pretty well. He put one deep in the center field last night that was just on the warning track. Could have tied the game up at one point. I mean, Tito will say a lot of things though. Well, but he was right because I watched the game. I, 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 <laughs> trust me, I make sure when he's BSing and when he's not. He was right where he what he was saying there. Okay. Um. But no, with this team and especially with Jason, what he's doing. When he hits the ball, he hits it well. He's I can't take that away from him, but it's very inconsistent. I think that's maybe the difference from last year's. While there was the inconsistency, he just plain out wasn't hitting. He wasn't contributing. But he's actually doing it with guys on base and whatnot. When he's hitting the ball, he's doing it when it matters most in certain situations. If that's kind of like the whipped cream you need on top of the cake to make you feel happy about what he's doing, the salary he's making... Go ahead and take it, but that's all I can take from that right now. Yeah, see, I just, I, I can't get over or get behind someone that is hitting below two hundred. You're right, but I guess at what point do you consider the time in the season and the amount of at bats you've had? And well, here I'll give you the, the recency bias. He's hitting exactly two hundred in the last seven. So I guess he is. <laughs> I take it back. He's not inconsistent. He actually is consistent by the word. Consistently not. Well, again, that is over his last seven, he is 70 points higher than his last 15. He's hitting 130 in his last 15 games. Oh, my goodness. Um, I look, you, you know, no one was going to take that contract going into this year. Perfectly uh, simple. Yeah, it was very evident. Simple as that. And it's been the biggest knock on this front office and the Dolans. And quite honestly, it doesn't get talked about enough, is that when they do decide to spend money, they spend it poorly. Yeah. 
Well, okay, because remember back when we were back in the off-season winter meetings and stuff, it, how it was kind of coming out when we were looking to potentially move either Kluber or Bauer, and then it was kind of getting out that, okay, we need, we're trying to package in Kipnis. Can you imagine if we would have traded, if we would have fleeced someone with both Kluber and Kipnis? Well, think about the money in that. I think that would have been north of $35 right. million in just a year ago. In, a con- in contracts for right. just this year, uh, Cy Young winning, Cy Young winning pitcher there, and uh that would have been robbery. That would have been, and I honestly think you could have gotten it out of the Padres. The only issue is, is that the Padres, outside of their really top prospects, <laughs> don't have a like it's top prospects, and then it's just fill in role guys right now. Right. Well, I mean that's all you can really afford to do. Right, and then they all tied all that money up into uh, Manny Machado. Yikes. But to finish off this topic, I don't want to talk about the Indians real quick. I want to talk about an article I saw today, or not today, this week in um, MLB.com. It was talking about Fernando Tatis Jr., and I want to make fun of some of my Chicago White Sox friends here real quick. So they were talking about this deal, and this also ties into the Indians, so I'll tie it in a little bit later. So they were talking about the deal that allowed the Padres to acquire Tatis I believe in 2014, 2013, 2014, something like that. Uh, it was a year when <laughs> that iconic video, actually, no, it was three years ago. It was that iconic video of when Bartolo Colon hit his one and only home run off of James Shields at Petco Park out there in San Diego. And actually, James Shields was the guy in that trade for the two prospects that the, the Padres got in return. Now, at the time, Tatis was a... 17-year-old, like, international prospect, wasn't even on the top 30 list or anything like that. It wasn't really even that highly rated. They were just wild cards taken for the sake of getting rid of James Shields because, quite honestly, he had one of the worst statistical seasons for a starting pitcher in the history of baseball. One of the worst. And the White Sox thought they, they had a hot start that season, and they thought they were going to take a run at it and go at it with us. And uh, they thought James... Shields would be one of the difference makers for that pitching rotation. I don't know why, because he had a lot of money on his deal, and they had an, enough cap space or cap room to go ahead, or not cap room, uh, salary or budget for him, yeah. and they brought him on, thought he'd make a difference. Uh, long story short, he did not make a difference, and in turn, Tatis Jr. turned into one of the best prospects in baseball. One of the biggest, I don't know, you want to call it prospect miracles in the history of the sport, was a decent international signing, but never had the idea of becoming a top prospect. And now the Padres are just sitting there stroking their beards, knowing that they got one of the best shortstops of the future for an aging James Shields. Oh, and a James Shields that's currently unemployed and the Indians are taking a look at for their rotation. How about that? I'd rather have Jeffrey. I would rather have Jeffrey. I actually would rather take Cody Ass Anderson, who's supposed (laughs) to start in the series opener against the A's this weekend. Uh, and you saw that his first start in almost two years, he went 38, 40 pitches in the first inning, gave up like five or six runs. It's only uphill from there. That three-game stretch, aggregate, 21 to one in favor of the opponents and score. Uh, I wanted to take my out, myself out back <laughs> and take me out like old Yeller. Like that was <laughs> one of the worst three-day stretches in baseball I've ever watched. Uh, I actually couldn't even watch it. I had to stop. Yeah. I mean, it... I'm to the point now where I'm just, unless the Indians turn it on, give me to training camp for the Browns. And 
Talking about that, we're going to dive into a little bit next. The Browns are talking a little bit. Mainstream media does not want you to like it, but we're going to tell you why. We absolutely love everything they're doing up there in Berea. Final segment of the program. We're going to try to get our buddy Bundy through. We're going to actually call him live, as in live, like no editing of the podcast. going to try to call him on the spot to get his opinion on some of these athletes' Met Gala outfits. Most notably, Odell Beckham Jr., because whatever the skirt kilt thing he had going on. He, was had, the, just, he had the confidence to pull it off. Not. It was just not a good mix. Oh, you don't like it with the boots? No. <laughs> it's if it's not something I can see myself wearing, and quite honestly, that's a lot of things. But reasonably, can I see myself wearing? Nah, I could get nah. behind wearing a kilt on St. Patty's Day. Okay, that's that's obviously different. That's a different scenario, right? And the, and the Met Gala isn't. The Met Gala is all about just being, from what I've seen and from what I understand, which is very limited. It's just all about just wearing the most random thing that you can wear. I'm going to there for a charity event. I'm not going out to get drunk on a patio all day. Oh, they're doing more than getting drunk. Alcohol is not the only drug that's being consumed at the Met Gala. I'm not even talking about Met Gala. I'm talking about the same. I was talking about the two different spectrums. Oh. What are you doing on St. Patrick's Day? Met Gala is technically a a charity event. Oh, right. St. Patty's Day, you're just getting drunk and sitting on a patio all day. You don't think they're, they're just getting drunk? At the Met Gala? I, I can't speak for them. From my understanding, it's just a bunch of rich people getting all kind of all kinds of drugged up and just well, having a good time. Honestly, before the other night, all I knew it of is just like a red carpet. You take the photos and I didn't really know what happened after that. From what from what I've seen from uh, I believe Big Cat was asking about it on Twitter. <laughs> uh it's kinda like a, a dinner of some sorts. You have some like A list performers. A lot of coke in the bathroom. Oh yeah, okay, yeah, that kind of thing. Huh? So I, I, I don't think the kilt was much of a conversation point for people inside. Well, that's uh, that's really interesting. I learned something new today. That's rich people for you. <laughs> um, all right. Well, talking about our Browns real quick. You know, nothing special. Uh, there really isn't a whole lot to talk about. But whenever that's the case, you know, this is the great part about having a guy like Odell Beckham is he's going to give you something to talk about at some point. And most notably, it's an interview with GQ of all places. He had quite a few things to say about the Browns, the Browns in general, and even his quarterback. He, uh, yeah, he is one of my favorite quotes he had from this interview was that he plans I plan on being there for the next five years in terms of talking about Cleveland and trying to bring as many championships there as possible turning the Browns into the new Patriots. That quote alone really perked people's ears and they got really defensive because you know how the internet is. They don't really read the quotes. They just see turn into and then Patriots and they say, oh, well, you guys haven't even made the playoffs. Like, how could you say that? And it's jumping the gun. And he had the, honestly, it's sad he even had to clarify that comment later, but he's saying he wants to work hard and build this team into that. And at that point, what is wrong about that statement? Like, he wants to make this team the best he possibly can. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Like, every, anyone, even if you know nothing about football, you know that the Patriots are a successful franchise. And the amount of rings that they have over the last two decades speaks for itself. There's absolutely nothing wrong with striving for greatness. I mean, it, 
striving to win a Super Bowl is a lot better than striving to get out of the first round of the playoffs. Well, yeah, that's very true. But like you said, they're striving for something. I don't see what the big issue in that is. But honestly, that's not the quote I would have personally been interested in. It's the one he had to say about his own quarterback. Uh, he went on the lines of saying, I would say he's next, like the next big thing. But I feel like he's now. So he's already shown he's that good right away, and he can be that, I don't know. I'm trying to fill in what he said. He kind of put it pretty short for words. But he said, I would say he's next. I feel like he's now. He's Brett Favre. He's going to be a Hall of Famer. I love that. I love that, but man, like how can you have how can anyone possibly have anything bad to say about this? I don't, but I just like Well, okay, like obviously he's trying to get people excited about the Browns. Sure. So what's going to get you excited? Oh, I'm, I'm I want to go 10 and 6 and make the make the wild card. If that happened this year, would I be disappointed? Absolutely not. But also, you saying you want to get one in Super Bowl, that's going to that's gonna move the needle for me a lot more than, oh, I want to go 10-6 and six and make the wild card game and see what happens. You're right. I just, you know, when you're talking up certain players, and especially when they've only had one year in the league, those are the ones where I kind of would like to avoid having that, I don't want to call it a distraction, but it's like you're, you're putting a target on somebody. Well, right, but like, I feel like, again, realistically, if the Browns were to go ten and six, okay, make the wild card game. Well, honestly, just make the playoffs. Will I be disappointed if they lose? Yes. Will I think it's a good season? Yes. Yeah, but I think you're losing. You're losing the point of their. Ta- he, I mean, he's talking up a second year quarterback as being the next Brett Favre and a Hall of Famer. Like those. Are, I mean, this, we're talking about the same team where. Freddie Kitchens pretty much just told Greedy Williams to not talk about going to the Super Bowl next year. I can't imagine them being thrilled that he said something like this. Well, I mean, Greedy Williams is, has yet to play it down in the league. Sure, but then, okay, I'll play devil's advocate. What has Baker Mayfield won? Uh, anyone rookie, offensive rookie of the year? No, that was Saquon. Yeah, that's, that still pisses me off, let's be honest, though. Yeah, just because you force-feed a guy and... Run up the stats. No, I Baker is well. First of all, Baker won a football game. Yeah, a singular football game, <laughs> which is more than which tied what we did. He won seven, exactly. And we haven't had a, a seven win season in a long time. Well, seven and a half wins. Don't discount that tie. Witnessed week one, <sighs> right? But no, I Baker has shown his he ability. Actually, he actually has a winning record if you think about it. He's seven and seven. It's 500. Yeah, yeah. But no, ba- Baker has shown that he has the, uh, and obviously our standards may be a little bit lower being with the Browns, but hell, we have a franchise quarterback. We have never, in our lifetimes, we have never been able to say that. You thought you could, but I, I, get, what, <laughs> I get what you're saying. After, after a draft, after a year that we drafted the quarterback, you can't tell me, that you ever thought that, oh, we have our guy going into the next season. A full year? After the year after a, we drafted a quarterback. There's not one that you could say, maybe Tim Couch. After a year, though, did you not feel maybe something with Johnny Manziel? No. His really? Fir- his his first start was all I needed to see. Against the, against the Bungles. 
in his what three interceptions in the good, first he half. Had, he had good flashes. I'm not saying you had to see him as a franchise quarterback for the next ten years, but you didn't see you didn't go into the season after his rookie year, and I'm take all the off the field stuff out of the equation. Just what you saw on the field, you weren't at least excited to see what you're going with into the next year, or you had some type of confidence you had a guy that could play quarterback. I think it was wishful thinking. I mean, I I was like you didn't see enough. It, I was wishfully thinking that okay, I think he'll be good. Just because, like as you know, as soon as we got him, I within two months I had my Manziel jersey, right? Courtesy of China, a- along with a lot of other people, right? So I just I don't know. It was wishful thinking. He had he had something that we hadn't seen in a long time. He had some swagger to him. But then, obviously, his on-field performance didn't necessarily back it up. And then here we're looking at Baker. He has the same amount of swagger, if not more, right. and he can back it up on the field. He does. He does and says all the right things. He has a great mentality, mm-hmm. and all the players love him. That's a really good way to put it, man. I don't disagree with you. But I think this is a perfect moment that we can try live on the air, so this is going to be hard to do. But we're going to try to call Bundy up right now and see if we can get a reaction from him on this Met Gala outfit that OBJ was wearing. Zach, kind of go in depth more as I try to dial this up. What you were looking at, and when you saw it, what was your immediate reactions? To what now? To his outfit, to oh OBJ. I mean, personally, it's a, it's a very unique outfit. If you haven't seen it, you should go look it up. Just type in OBJ Met Gala. I mean, it, it's a nice nice kilt. And then, honestly, if you go into the, the GQ article that talks about it, it kind of talks about his process going through. He had to get the sleeves of this tuxedo cut off of both the uh, the undershirt and the jacket. And then he had to get the the, the pants hemmed up and everything. It, it, it's, a, it's a look. It's definitely a look. He's not picking up. I could have told you that. If this goes to a message. Oh. Bundy. Well, since we have this time, I'd like to formally place a curse on the Carolina Hurricanes in the name of the AAF. Their owner killed the AAF, and I am now cursing them in the name of the Arizona Hotshots. If we can take a quick second here, I just want to say this. So I know he's not going to listen to this episode. He doesn't even listen to anything, quite honestly. He doesn't Um, listen when he's in here. He doesn't listen when he's in here. He doesn't contact anybody. He kind of randomly FaceTimes calls you at random points in time. I'm going to say this on here because he'll never listen to it, like I said. (laughs) I think we should go at least like a week, maybe two, of just no contact with him. Yes. Nothing. No response, no nothing, any FaceTime cancel it or just not even respond to it uh any type of outreach do not answer it let him (laughs) simmer in his actions and let him see how it feels when it's not urgent for anybody else to answer that he doesn't get the response i just want to try it out real quick Uh, for maybe a week or two i like that starting now starting now all right no more contact I can't wait to see how crazy he goes. You know he's going to show up at your house. Oh, yeah. I mean, he can do that, I, I, I mean, guess. You know Maureen's going to let him in, and he's going to run through your pantry. And I'm not going to tell him when I'm there, so I guess yeah, that kind of hurts his uh, well, when is that ever chances. Stopped? When, the, when has that ever stopped Bundy before, though? Well, he's got to have someone let him in. Uh, you have too many members of your family. <laughs> if, so, he know, if he knows at the right times to go, though. 
that's the that's the key point. Yeah, dinner time. <laughs> that's way too much. Um, is I don't know. Is there really anything else to talk about this team? Because quite honestly, training camp still around the corner. You had rookie mini camp. Not a whole lot of news out of that. I did see a video of Greedy Williams get absolutely burned by some undrafted free agent on his first route, which wasn't very uh, encouraging, I guess. But at the same time, I mean, it sounds like he's been... Those quads were still tight. and didn't get enough stretching. Yeah, man. let's go with that. <laughs> uh, there's nothing really to take too much out of that uh, situation. I don't know why you would. It's rookie minicamp, like we said. It's all rookies, so he's not going against the top guys. Um we actually had this debate today. If you could pick any, because there's only three teams in the NFL without uh, Buc- active current former Buckeyes on the team. If you could pick any of the active guys for any of the needs on your team, you can only pick one. Who are you selecting in what position? And I was going in between one of these guys on the offensive line, whether it's a Billy Price down at Cincinnati, a Pat Elfline up there at Minnesota, I know they're both centers, and we have J.C. Treader. We're fine there. But I feel like you could; those guys play guard in college. You could easily move those guys over. And I understand you put a second-round pick in Austin Corbett, but I would feel a hell of a lot better with one of those two than I have with this guy going into this season. Yeah. yeah. But I didn't pick those guys. I actually took Marshawn Lattimore. Okay. I wanted to get that number two guy, the pair, I guess interchangeable with him and Denzel Ward, and then you can have Greedy Williams as your number three. And then Terrence Mitchell as your four. Look, I love making, and like John Dorsey said, you can never have enough good cover corners. In that scenario, I kind of feel greedy, no pun intended, but I want to make that position a lot stronger. I understand I can help that offensive line, but man, especially in this division, and even more or less just this league, and having those big corners is so necessary. I'd have to do it. But if I was really, really greedy, I would take Michael Thomas and pair him with Jarvis Landry and Odell Beckham. And Baker Mayfield would probably become the best quarterback of all time just with that trio. Yeah, it'd just be a matter of can the offensive line keep defenders off of him. I mean, it wouldn't have to be for that long when you got that many good wide receivers, though. They did last year, though. I mean, they had one of the the least amount of quarterback pressures from when he started playing to the end of the season. Right, yeah. Well, I mean, honestly, too, it was... he Once Freddie Kitchens took over the offense, I believe the first, like, three, four games, he wasn't touched or knocked down or anything. Yeah, that sounds about right. We were playing pretty good teams. We had teams like Kansas City and San Diego in that mix. Right. So, yeah, I... I'm very excited to see what what Freddie Kitchens can do. It's been a wild, wild stretch of sports recently for not only the city of Columbus, the city of Cleveland, which we partake in with this conversation each and every week, but also the state of Ohio and all of the fans across the world, whether you are solely in for this for the CBJ, the Indians, or the Browns. You've had a lot to talk about this week, and it's been actually one of our more uh, information-filled or quality discussions we've had, but I guess there's a key member of this pod that isn't here each week, which is why it keeps on going up a little bit. (laughs) Um, But for Zach, this is CB. Really appreciate you guys listening to the show this week. Um, We kind of just wing it whenever we decide to come in for each and every week. We'll decide later on this week, but for all of us involved, we wish you a very happy weekend. Enjoy your sports, and at this point, focus on the tribe.